If you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. Okay, so Corey, we just finished like a minute ago talking about the nature of evil. Yes. And we're just going to keep this thing going, although it's appearing a week later. But we were talking about the nature of evil as being a void or an emptiness of, of God's qualities, privation of the good, as Augustine said. And now let's talk about the beings mm-hmm. that, and again, going back to it, it, it's not that Satan and the demons make evil right. or create evil or the source of evil, but in a weird sense, they sort of inhabit that void. Yeah, it, it, it sounds like a contradiction at first because we just got through with refuting Manichaeism, which posits that there's an evil God who's responsible for evil and, and somehow produces it as a positive thing. But then we turn around and say, oh, there's a Satan. Because oftentimes the way people think about Satan is sort of God's opposite number, is that they're sort of struggling for the universe. They, they think of it in a Manichaean way. But as we get into Satan and the demons, we're going to see that that's not what they're like at all. They Their being fits in with the Catholic understanding of what evil is as a deprivation of the good. I'm just going to pick up on what we talked about last time with the nature of evil being a void or mm-hmm. emptiness, that these are the beings that in a sense, they don't create that void, but they inhabit it. And we'll get into the eschatologists because I think they live on the edge of it now, on the edge of the precipice. Yeah. Because, you know, we can think of times where in scripture, like when, when Jesus crosses the Sea of Galilee to the land of the Gadarenes and he meets the demoniac, and he says, I know who you are, son of God. You've come mm-hmm. to cast us into the void before our time. And then also we know from Revelation that in the end, St. Michael and the angels come back with Christ and they vanquish Satan and cast he and the demons once and for all into the void. But yeah, so there, the, there it's pictured as a lake of fire. Yeah, yeah. But, but in some sense, they live on the precipice of that void. Yeah. And we'll get into it because those are in some sense... Um, metaphorical their, their word pictures the the, yeah. the the demons are not physical beings it's not like if we travel far enough we'll get to no, where no, no, the no, void no, is or no, where no, the lake no, of fire right, right, is right. But, but if we think yeah. of the void as the absence of god mm-hmm. they live on in that space where right, the right. absence of god is now let's let's we def- should probably back up back up back up, back up. we're getting <laughs> ahead of ourselves here let's so let's back up and define terms okay mm-hmm. tell us and i know the catechism of the catholic church unpacks this very clearly mm-hmm. Who or what is Satan and the demons? Yeah, so going back to our conversation about angels, there is an order of beings that God created that are spiritual beings. They don't have bodies like we do, but they are intelligent. They have wills. They are persons. And Satan is one of those. That is the kind of being that he is. And when we talked about angels, we talked about how they're, because they're not subject to the kind of change that comes with being a physical bodily creature, 
they they have sort of confirmed wills. They choose and then they just continue choosing forever. They don't change their minds the way that we do from from day to day or hour to hour. And so the the good angels are those that are confirmed in their obedience and love towards God and and in carrying out his will. Satan rebelled against God. He made an irrevocable choice to to not serve God and to not love God and to try and do his own thing. And therefore, he distanced himself from the good. As we said, he is distanced from truth and goodness and beauty. Now, as we said in the, in the episode on the angels, these angelic beings, which have an, an incredible intellect mm-hmm. and will, but they are not created in God's image. Mm-hmm. So they don't necessarily have the creative power that humans do. So in other words, angels can't make more angels, sure. right? They don't reproduce and so God creates this host, and for all we know, it's 10 gazillion, gazillion. No idea them, the right? exact numbers. Right, yeah. but let's just assume that it's 10 gazillion, Many. gazillion of these beings. They don't reproduce, right? And they have enormous intellect and will, and they have freedom of intellect and will, right? Mm-hmm. So in other words, they are free moral agents. We can choose, as we said in that episode on Angels, we can choose to be more like God because we're created in his image. They could choose to either follow him or not follow him, serve him or not serve him. Mm-hmm. That's the nature of the choice. Right. To use their enormous intellect and capacity to serve him or to not serve him. Right? Right. Two things on that. Talk about the confirmation of that world yeah, yeah. That, with the demons. I don't know where I read this. It was... A few years back, I wish I could remember who said it because I thought it was a really super clever idea and then I'd like to give attribution, but somebody, not me, had this really clever piece where they were talking about the choice of the demons to rebel. Mm-hmm. And they said, we might sort of think of that as, okay, so there was Lucifer who was this most powerful angel and all these other angels and they flew around doing whatever it is that the angels do or did. Mm-hmm. And then after a while, a thousand years, a gazillion years, whatever, at some point along the way, they grew dissatisfied and chose to rebel. But he said, given their enormous intellects, maybe that choice was nearly instantaneous. Sure. At the moment that they were created, there's two paths in front of you. It's God speaks them into being and says, now, you know, have being, have existence. Now, what will you do with it? Mm -hmm. And they go, I'm going this way or I'm going this way. And, you know, this guy had made the point that for all we know, they made that choice in the first five seconds. Right. And yeah, and we don't know if time applies in the same exact way right, um, as, but, it, as it does with us. But, but it was an yeah. intriguing idea for me because mm-hmm. it was this notion that they, they're directed to an end or not an end. Right. And that in a sense, you know, thinking of it in t- terms of time is maybe the wrong way, but they've sort of have always been that way, you know, because Jesus says about Satan, he was always a liar. A liar. From the beginning. He was a yeah. liar from the beginning. You know, and yet we know he was created as this most powerful angel. And yet from the beginning, he chose to be a liar. He chose to abandon the truth and goodness and beauty. Mm-hmm. So I always thought that was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting. But, but what you just said there that he chose is important. Like we talked about in the last episode about evil, God doesn't create evil. It's not a positive thing that right. he, he sets out to do. Evil is a deprivation of the good, well, and it's something that came into into being through yeah, their they didn't, choice. They didn't choose. They evil. weren't created evil. No, 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 they weren't. And they didn't mm. choose 
evil, because as we mm. just said in the last conversation, evil isn't a thing. What they chose, they, they were given the opportunity to either serve God or mm-hmm. not serve God. They turned their face away from him right, into right. that. What we said in the last thing, the nature of evil is is a void. It's a it's an emptiness. It's a it's a privation of God. They chose, and if you think of it this way, they chose to sort of turn their backs on him and direct themselves away from him. The second thing that strikes me as interesting about that is that notion of being confirmed. So they were given this choice by their nature. I don't know that God said, all right, no, everybody raise your hands. Everybody in favor of, you know, right? But I don't think it's that as much as that the choice is implied, right? So Mm -hmm. like they can either face God and serve him or they can turn their back on him. But once they made that choice, and this is critical and you brought it up on the, a minute ago and in the previous episode about the angels, that once they made that choice, there's no going back on it. Their nature is that that's a sort of a one-time thing. They, they either can direct themselves towards God or not. They can't be sometimes towards God and sometimes not or in a process or whatever. They, they either are for him or against him. Right. Right? Yeah. And in that sense, once Satan and the demons rebelled, if you think of it that way, that has a confirmed choice. There's no going back. There's no second chances for them. There's no mm-hmm. repentance. There's no time when they'll be converted back. Now, you said a moment ago that we live in time, mm-hmm. right? The difference is, is that our choice will be confirmed, Catholic teaching is, mm-hmm. Right? Catholic dogma is that we too, our choice will be confirmed. It just hasn't been confirmed yet. That choice for mm-hmm. us is confirmed at when? At death. At death. Yeah, which you, you see the harmony between those two because, of course, at, at death we leave the body. Not permanently because the kind of creature we are will be, will be resurrected, but we we cease for a time to be that subject to change being in the body that we were before in that sense we become somewhat like the angels although not entirely well we get one we die we get one pass through Mm -hmm. this life right this life is the arena the opportunity for us to make our moral choices Mm -hmm. there aren't second chances or mulligans or do-overs and i think this is why it's so critical right for us not only those of us who are Christians or are Catholics to make those choices now for us to have that sense of mission. It was exactly that that impelled the church for thousands of years to be missionary. Mm -hmm. And I know we'll get into this some other time, but it's that lack of missionary impulse today in the church that concerns me so much when we, to some degree, are some voices in the church are saying, well, let's simply accompany people in their poor moral choices. Mm-hmm. Right. So someone has made immoral choices and, and our notion is, or is making immoral choices, is, is choosing the evil. And our notion is, well, we'll simply accompanying them off the edge of the cliff. But that's yeah. my, that's, that's me going no, on a but, rant. But I think that's illustrative because there, there's a huge contrast there. Good, as we talked about before, is creative and it's redemptive. It, it, it wants to make good things. And if it sees good things that have fallen prey to evil, it wants to help and rescue them. That's what the mission of the church is. That's what evangelism is. And that's what, you know, our works of mercy are is to, is to try and help and to rescue and to redeem fallen mankind who's subject to sin and death and, and damnation, but also to all the physical evils. That's why the church, you know, 
feeds the hungry and cares for the sick and all these things. The demons are the exact opposite of that. They have a a destructive mission and and they seek to drag humankind down with them. Everybody's probably heard of the the role of Satan in the fall of man that Satan because of the destructive nature of evil he wants to 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 destroy and and deface the image of God in man and so he tempts Eve and Adam to to turn away from God in in a similar way to how he turned away from God and therefore he as the catechism says as as the scriptures and the the long standing tradition of the church was stands at sort of the the fountainhead of human evil that that the demons and satan spiritual evil is is related to as a cause to to human evil okay there's a couple of points you want to make. Yeah, go, on, <laughs> yeah, go for it. I know, but I'm, I'm trying to restrain myself because a part of me wants to go off on a tangent. And, <laughs> you know, tangents are what this podcast is built upon. But, okay, so, like, I'll risk the tangent for just a minute and then okay. I'll try to get back onto the main track. When we talk about this business of accompanying people versus calling mm-hmm. them out. Sure, sure. Right? And I'll get back to Satan in the garden in the form of the serpent in a second. But just as an aside, to stick with my rant about maybe some current directions in the church that say the church's role is to accompany people wherever they're going. You and I did a book club episode, I don't know how long back, about Canticle for Leibowitz. Right. Right? And if you haven't heard that episode or read the book, and go back, but I don't want to rehash it all now, but there's this scene that we both agreed in there was one of the most powerful scenes in that mm, book. Yeah, I know the one you're talking and about. And that's where the bishop, right, or it was the abbot. Yeah, the abbot. Uh, the abbot, there's this woman, and she's going to take her child to the euthanasia center. Uh, won't even get into the whole why, right? But cause mm-hmm. they get, and they're going to go to the euthanasia center because because the suffering and you know, and and the abbot stands there and he has this really powerful kind of prophetic speech, and he says, "I adjure you, mm-hmm. as a you know representative of Jesus Christ, that what you are doing is evil, and you must turn aside, or you face eternal damnation." Mm-hmm. Right. And she blows him off and goes to the Ignatius Center anyway, right? And then I read about bishops of the Catholic Church in places like Canada and the Netherlands and other things where now we're doing euthanasia. And they're saying, well, our job is to show up and accompany people in their euthanasia journey. because And that's happening. Like the, the bishops yeah. in Eastern Canada is happening in the Netherlands. There are bishops of the Catholic Church and cardinals of the Catholic Church saying, no, no, no. If people are choosing euthanasia... You know, that's the moral choice. We may not like think it's a good choice, but you know, it's our job to accompany with them on wherever they're going. And you go, I want them to be like the abbot mm-hmm. in that thing and say, I adjure you by the power in the name of Jesus Christ to turn aside from this this thing. Because because where we got to this a moment ago was that we become confirmed in those choices by the end. And, the, the, you know, as we said, the, the Satan and the demons were confirmed in their choice, but we become confirmed in our choices at the end. And I, as a, in my life, my life experience as a pastor and just personally have been with people at the end of their lives, literally in the last, you know, minutes. And I have seen people make really redemptive choices in the last hour of their life. And I have seen people confirm themselves in a choice to turn aside from God. You know, when you sit at the end and you say, would you like to pray? Would you like, nope, don't want anything. You know, God, I don't want to hear any about that stuff about God right now. I just reject it all. And you go, and then they, then they expire and you go, wow, you know, that's, that's harsh. 
And so I think that we have to do it now. Rant aside about some of the cardinals and bishops of the church that are- Who are sinful men like all of us. All and, of us, yes. and that's a whole other thing, and, you know, right? But I just felt like it's, it's relevant there to talk about the confirming of our choices, mm -hmm. because our job and the missionary impulse of the church was always to share- Christ so that people would not right. be confirmed in the end. Well, and, and what? where is it in, in the New Testament where it says that Christ came into the world to undo the work of the evil one? Right. Yeah, that it's a counter mission. Yeah. Now, that being said, let's go back to get back on track here with Satan and how he tempts Adam Eve. So he appears in the form of the serpent, right? I don't want to get into the whole thing yeah. about you know, the serpent, right? But, but he appears in the form of a serpent in the garden, right? And what he does is he lies. But his lies are clever, right? He manipulates the truth. And it goes back to what we said in the last episode, Nature of Evil, that God's essence is truth, goodness, and beauty. And what he does is he, he subtly just takes enough of that away, just warps enough of it to make mm -hmm. it appealing, so that Satan says, well, did God really say? Mm -hmm. And he introduces enough doubt. So he comes to the woman and the man, and he says, did, did God really say you should not eat of this fruit? Well, maybe God's holding back something from you. Maybe God doesn't want you to do it because of this and this, and he introduces just enough distortion. So when we said the RGB analogy, if you listen to the last episode, he distorts it just enough. You know, if he showed up as a fire-breathing dragon and, you know, uh, you know, with a right. pitchfork and all that said, come to do hell. something really bad, yeah, do something yeah. really, really bad and come to hell with me. Right. You know, like they would go, <laughs> right. But what he does is he introduces just enough doubt, just enough distortion in the truth and the goodness and beauty before them that they are let aside. And, and this is where the nature of Satan, let's get into this, you know, what Satan and the demons are capable of and not capable of. Because good is a thing and evil is not a thing. It is no thing. It is nothing they can't create, they can't make, they can't build, they can't, there is no positive value to it. Mm -hmm. And I don't even just positive, there's no constructive value, it has no substance. Right, it doesn't add anything. Yeah, it has. It, it is without substance or form. All they can do is mar and deface and twist and warp that which is true or good or beautiful. Mm -hmm. Or outright destroy. Yeah. Right, and so the way that Satan and the demons work is they don't create, like in the movies, you know, this isn't Star Wars or whatever, where there's some powerful, evil army of something or other, right? What this is, is they prey on our minds and our moral choices to continually introduce doubt and distortion. You want to talk about how they operate? Yeah. So the, the catechism says that they have the, the ability to sort of a, attack on the, the spiritual or the, the mental realm that they can introduce harm there that they can suggest ideas and temptations to us they they can in certain ways manipulate the physical universe um they're limited by what god allows them to do and it, it's always risky to try to attribute any particular bad thing that happens to the direct action of demons if you don't have evidence for it because we just don't know in most cases what they are or are not doing but you, you see this in the scriptures where Christ heals people who their illnesses are are caused or at least facilitated by by demons, illnesses of various kinds. And, and so 
or or the book of Job, which you mentioned in our last conversation, where where God gives permission to Satan in order to do certain things against Job and against his family and against his property, even against his, his body and causing disease. So there's a wide range of spiritual and physical harms that demons can cause or facilitate, but they're limited by what God allows them to do. And this gets again into the the problem of theodicy that that we alluded to in the last episode about why God would do that and how a greater good comes out of it. But they're not they're not just limitless or all powerful. It's not like Star Wars again, unlimited power of, of evil. They they can't make you sin, for instance. They they can't and we can talk about demonic possession in a minute, but they can't go against your will and, and you know force you to do something they can suggest they can tempt they can make it look really good so that you want to do it but they're not just going to you know pick up the marionette strings and make you do what they want you to do so uh, the thing i was reading the other day they were, they were making the point about what the sort of limitations of demons and the experience of say of exorcists and these people are you know one of the things that Satan and the demons can do is, is again, because they can't create something. All they can do, because it's, it's always lies, it's always mm-hmm. deception, they can warp our perception right. of reality. So you and I got into this hot conversation about UFOs and this and that, and then I just recently recorded a little addendum to that that I haven't, <laughs> I haven't released at the time we're recording it, but I think it may come out before this goes. Because I just read an interesting book on this, but like I, I think that like with the UFOs, can can Satan make a spaceship that flies around in our atmosphere to deceive us? No, because Satan can't make things. He can't mm-hmm. make spaceships. What he can do is distort our perception of reality. Whether that's spaceships or werewolves or haunted houses or ghosts or whatnot, right? I mean, and that has always been the case, is that, that that Satan and the demons have this sort of capacity to, you know, deface and mar and shape and warp the truth and what mm-hmm. we think we see and what we think we know. And so if you go back, take the UFO thing out of it, but if you go back throughout history, whether it's the occult, whether it's, you know, ghosts or whatever, right? You know, the early church fathers talked often about this, about the pagan gods being, in some sense, warped or manifestations of demonic presences. Are they saying that there really is a Poseidon and he's a demon? Or are they saying that, that in some ways, that demons are capable of warping our perceptions of reality so that we attribute things... To, to things that aren't really there. Am I making sense? Yeah, I think you're making sense. I mean, there's a lot of nuance to this and there's there's a certain amount of room for disagreement, but it's definite. It, it's certain that that Satan and the demons are going to try and make you see things in a way that is that is false or that is twisted in order to lead you into sin and to lead you away from God. And they'll use whatever raw material comes to hand um, or obviously they can influence p- other people. So like they can work sort of in a secondary way by influencing other people who then have an influence on, on you. Like it's complicated and, and the, the exact machinations of, of demons are hidden from us, I think is a mercy. Um, yeah. Right. I mean, scripture doesn't unpack this because there's only, there's what we need to know and what we know, don't need to mm-hmm. know. And being too fascinated with these things. I mean, throughout church history, there's all these warnings from 
the saints and doctors of the church not to be too fascinated mm -hmm. about these these matters, right? Because our eyes shouldn't be focused on them. Our eyes should be focused on on Christ. Um, right, and, and Christ himself says that. Um, he does give the church power over demons. You alluded to exorcism. That's something that the church can employ. Um, and of course, just the, the holy, the sacraments, prayer, these are all powerful um, weapons against Satan and the demons. Christ Christ gave the apostles the power to drive out demons and sent them out two by two. And they came back and they said, Lord, even the demons obey us. And he said, do not rejoice because the demons obey you. Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. It, it, yeah, as exactly as you say, it's to focus on the heavenly things, to know that we are in a spiritual battle against the demons and, and God does want us to resist and fight against their influence. But that's not what it's all about. Not to get morbidly obsessed with. with I, I want to get that. into the exorcism, possession and exorcism here yeah, in a yeah. second. Um, but before we do, I want to just stay on this point for a second about what they're capable of and not capable of. Right. Right. So again, they're not capable of creating things, right? right. So if, if you see a werewolf or you think you see a werewolf or a vampire, it's not clear that Satan can make a vampire. Well, well, and, but, and I'm not opining specifically on the reality of, of werewolves or vampires, but they, they don't create, but they can twist. Or well, right, or right. Something. They, they, they can twist and, form, and sort of, in a sense, warp our, per, our, our perception of mm -hmm. what reality is, right? Well, oh, or, or, or to, warp reality itself. I'm trying to, right. I'm just trying to get to this point that, that they're not capable of sort of making a, a, a horde of monsters, that's sort of not how it works. They can warp things and people, but but their their power is limited. They don't have unlimited power, right, right? And they don't have a creative power, and and there's no substance to them. So, for example, like in literature, or you know, or or movies, or whatever, you're not going to have you know hordes of like physical monsters that Satan is conjuring. It doesn't quite work that way. That's just one thing I want to say. The other thing is, is that their intellect, their intellect is powerful, but limited in at least two ways, as I understand it, right? And a lot of this is not necessarily dogmatic because there's only so much scripture can tell us. There's the, there's the insights of the saints and there's the insights of, of Catholic mystics over the years. And there's sort of reasoning on these things. But we don't necessarily always have, you know, dogmatic details sure, about sure. it. But one of the things is is that while their intellect is powerful, the, the, the two limits on that intellect are, are number one, they they can't see into our own minds. Sure. Because we are, in a sense, a higher order of being than they are. For a little while, we were made lesser than the angels, but we are images of God, and they are not images of God. Even as mm -hmm. angels, they were not images of God. And there is a capacity to humanity, a, a sort of sovereignty to us, that they can't sort of come into and read our minds. I was reading some stuff the other day, compilation of insights from Catholic mystics over the centuries and doctors of the church, and they were talking about this, and they were saying, you know, they can sort of get impressions about our thoughts. They can sort of read our emotional tones. But they, they you know, if 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 I say I'm thinking of a number between one and a hundred, 
the demon doesn't necessarily know what the number is. It can't invade my mind. Right. I mean, even, even a very perceptive human could tell a lot about how you're thinking or feeling by observation from the outside. And I right. think demons are at least as good or better as humans. It, exactly. That, but it, they can't get inside. And that's not just a, a side point. I think it's important because there, there was a, as a sort of a, a sovereignty or integrity to, mm -hmm. to, to the human person. And I'm going to come back to that in a minute because it comes to the issue of possession and mm -hmm. exorcism. There is a sovereignty and integrity to our person that they are not able to overcome unless we allow that. Yeah. The, the second thing is their intellect is has a, a limit is that it, their intellect, in a sense, is warped. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so, you know, you, you can say the IQ, you know, a demon's IQ is a thousand or whatever they have mm -hmm. IQs. Right. I mean, but it's in a sense, it's, it's pointed in the wrong direction. Right. There's it's a obsessed with doing the most evil and stupid in a sense things possible. Right. Yeah. In a sense, it's ultimately stupid because you sit there and you say, you look at those encounters between Jesus and the demons and the gospels and they go, Oh, look, it's the son of God and you're going to throw us into the void before the time. And you go, well, why, if you're so smart, why did you rebel against God? Or, why or, when, you, would you do this? or when they ask, send us into the pigs and then immediately they just drive the whole herd off the cliff. It, that was a smart. Yeah, what was the point of that? Yeah. Right. I mean, there's a sense in which ultimately they are because they, they have turned aside from truth, goodness, and beauty. Right. They have in a sense, you, you can have this powerful intellect all pointed in a sort of warped and depraved and dark direction mm. and so in a sense we're going to get into now into the exorcism and and possession thing in a sense we should be concerned about them but not terrified of them B because we have or Christ, we don't have but christ as you say christ has power over them he gives the apostles and he gives the church power of them the name mm. of jesus is powerful over them we need not be terrified of them. We should be concerned, but not terrified. Wary or cautious. Wary, I think would be, cautious. would be a good word to use. What St. Paul talks about, the, the devil is it, like a roaring lion looking yeah. for prey. Well, and, and just quickly, I mean, whether it's Peter or Paul, the other the other New Testament writers continually warn us about the, the ultimately the power of Satan and the demons is deceptive. It isn't a creative or, cons or constructive or substantive power because it says in the end, what they will do is deceive many, lead many aside, mm -hmm. be the fathers of lies. The power of antichrist is the power of deception. You know, you fight against, you know, principalities and powers that can lead you aside. But in the end, they can't make those choices for you. We still have the integrity of intellect and will until we surrender those and we have the power. So if we trust in the power of Jesus, mm -hmm. we'll get into this in a second, and the, and, and the power of his kingdom, we, we are to be concerned but not frightened of them. Right. Because and, they will flee in the name of Christ. Right. And, and whatever spiritual harm or temptation they try to throw at you, if you don't consent to it, it, it doesn't hurt you. And, and whatever they might be able to do to, to body or to possessions— Ultimately, if we cling to Christ, those things harm us. So enough teasing, enough playing around with this. Let's get into what everyone wants to know. <laughs> Can you be possessed by demons? And what about exorcism and the Catholic Church and exorcists and the exorcist movie and the whole nine yards? So let's define terms. Mm -hmm. What is possession? 
And let's just differentiate that from oppression. Yeah. Which are two different things. Well, and, and what the object of the possession is, is important. What is the demon possessing? The demon is not possessing the person's soul. I mean, a person can be mired in, in sin, of course, through the influence of demons, but the demon doesn't, you know, take possession of the soul and make the person's will do things. The, the possession is of the person's body. And control of of their body and then oppression is i mean it it is what it sounds like it's it's a it's attack and it's it's influence harassment harassment is a good word but it falls short of control of of the body okay now this notion of control of the body mm-hmm. and how the demons can possess one this goes back to a minute ago when we were talking about what the limits to their power are mm-hmm. they cannot take possession of someone unless in a sense someone allows that to happen through their intellect and will right right so a person who resists that does not allow it keeps that door closed there's always in the case of possession some way that the person knowingly or sort of maybe only partially knowingly sort of consented to that right the and the bottom line is that you don't if you're worried about being possessed by a demon, you don't need to be worried about being possessed by a demon because you you're obviously don't want it to happen. And if you don't want it to happen and, you, and you're resistant to that very idea, then the door is shut. Well, although you might be oppressed by one. In sure, other words, we can sure. be a, a harassed by temptation and lies. And To some degree, we all are. We all are. I, I would think when we use that term demonic oppression, we're talking about you know more severe cases where there's some outward evidence right. of it. But now when we talk about possession, because the, I, I've used this word, I don't know if it's really the right word, a sovereignty, but integrity, the human person is is a created in the image of God, that Satan cannot, as you say, come and just sort of take control of a, of a, of a person's body unless that person sort of concedes the 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 intellect and will sort of opens the door and they are constantly trying to tempt us to open that door sure. right i mean so there's a thousand ways particularly with the the occult and certain kinds of things where there is this temptation to to sort of concede control of our life and maybe that's a whole nother thing i mean i almost think we'd have to interview someone who really understands how this works like an exorcist yeah but 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 from what i can understand of it there there are these gates you know we in the last episode we were talking about how when i would when i was a pastor and i would have moral conversations not confession and reconciliation because i couldn't do that but i have moral conversations with the guy says hey you know i had an affair with my secretary and i don't know it just happened well it didn't just happen Mm -hmm. you know you made you know 27 choices in a row over six months for it to happen in the same way, you know, Satan just doesn't come in and scoop you up and possess you. There is a sequence of of gates that you sort of gave more, conceded more and more control of your life. Is that a good way to put it? Yeah, I think so. So when that happens, and we'll have to maybe in some other time or some other sources to really get into the nitty gritty of how that happens when the demon takes possession of a person's body, the person is still inside there. Yeah, I mean, in, in a sense, you, you talked about like the integrity of the person. The demon is not able to have complete, you know, the demon can't just do whatever it, it wants, but in a sense, this is the worst that it can do because it's it's 
damaging or defacing that body soul unity which is constitutive of man that that the soul and the body are are united that there's a union they're not meant to be separated and and for the body to be under the control of a demon and not under the control of the person's will which is part of their soul is is a grave evil it's not how things are supposed to be it makes me think about um the story in the gospels where the father comes to Jesus and says, my son is possessed by this demon who makes him throw himself into the fire right. over and over. Does all these destructive things. Yeah. And, and that's that back to that sense of that evil is vandalism, defacing, marring the image of God. Or you think of the woman who was possessed by many demons and, you know, engaged in prostitution or whatever, that sense of de- defacing and marring the image of God in her, right? Mm-hmm. But, but that person is still in there because even in the Gospels, when we see Jesus cast them out, then once it's cast out, that person is still there. So you think of the, the Gadarene demoniac where he, they go into the pigs and then there's the guy sitting there in his right mind and all his neighbors come up and go, gee. Right. He was, he, he I mean, in some way, our, our language of talking about this is a little deceptive. It's not as if the soul is him and the body is some machine. He's talking, that's right. a sort of Gnostic idea. Of course he was there the whole time because he wasn't dead like the body and soul are, are But but are that's together. the point is that yeah. that that Satan cannot kill mm-hmm. the spirit the soul and and he can only kill the body if he sort of influences the body to commit suicide but he can't kill you Satan can't strike you dead and nor can Satan sort of uh, destroy your soul mm-hmm. uh he can take possession of your body and and warp your mind and warp your choices, mm-hmm. right? And when that happens, okay, there's a couple of things that that can make it not happen. And the one is, you know, the, the Satan, Satan and the demons will flee at the name of Jesus, mm-hmm. right? And at the name of Mary. Uh, Any, anything holy, I mean, this, anything the saints, holy, yeah, you know, anything and, associated with Christ. And in fact, I, that was the thing I was trying to remember a few minutes ago because I was reading something about the mystics, the Catholic mystics over the centuries. Mm-hmm. And this thing I was reading online, guy had an interesting article about it. And and he was talking about one of the ways that the mystics over the centuries, and even all the way back to, you know, St. Anthony in the desert or whatever. And like he's mm-hmm. in there, you know, fasting all day and you right. know, this demons. Early, early monasticism. Yeah, demons yeah. or whatever show up and or or they deceptive things show up and so they'll claim to be an angel they'll claim to be this or they'll claim to be that and that one of the things that the mystics always did is what the scripture tells us is test the spirits mm. right so spirits will come to you test the spirits and the way they would test the spirits this guy saying one of those mystics is ask them to pray a prayer with the name of Jesus in it mm-hmm. you say well he said you know saint anthony or whoever you know various mystics over the centuries and some angelic uh, appearance shows up and says, hey, you know, and, and they go, great, let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Because the demons will not do that. Right. There's an aversion to the holy. Yeah. And they, and they will not speak the name of Jesus. And they will not speak the name of Mary, uh, who terrifies them because she is, right, the one who crushes the uh, him by, through the incarnation. Um, in fact, Matt, that for that matter, you know, I always love St. Joseph, who is the terror of demons, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So... So, in a sense, as long as we cling to and speak the name of Jesus and invoke that, we protect ourselves. Right. Yeah. And, and that is 
one of the main ways of seeing Jesus's mission in the world, both during his ministry and, and his ongoing mission through the church, is that it is to redeem what Satan has marred and to, to take back, to destroy his kingdom and to assemble the, the kingdom of, of God. The Christian life, the life of prayer, the life of, of you know, frequenting the sacraments is the way that Christ redeems us from the kingdom of Satan. At our at our baptism, we are we are brought out of the kingdom of this world or the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of Christ. And so, as long as we we cling to that, we cling to Christ. Um, we are subject to Satan's rule. Okay, I've been I've been holding us off to the end because it's mm-hmm. exciting to people, <laughs> right? Like exorcism, like the movie The Exorcist, and you always see in the movies, you know, Catholic mm-hmm. priests exorcising demons. So let's kind of end on this whole exorcism thing. Sure. The principle of it is that, as you say, Christ gave the apostles and the successors of the apostles and the presbyters and priests that, you know, operate in their name, gave them power over demons to cast Mm -hmm. them out, right? Yep. And so therefore the church apostolically and the apostolic successors, which would be the bishops, Right. right, have this capacity, not in their own selves like a bishop isn't like a magic guy like he isn't you know whatever a jedi master or something Mm -hmm. but in their apostolic office contains a sort of power to cast out demons and exorcists right are appointed by a bishop right so i watched this really goofy 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 tv series on hbo or something a few years back that was like just really weird and it was like these two freelance catholic priests like running around the country that's like, where you know it's gone wrong yeah, freelance yeah freelance catholic, catholic, catholic priests. priests who like this guy's like this catholic priest and this other guy's like this ex-catholic priest and they run around like you know conf- casting out demons and monsters or something you know, sort of dumb. It, it was really kind of goofy as if these guys, because they have a Roman collar, have this like power. Right. They've got the magic. Right. W- what it is, is each diocese, right? The bishop will designate someone in that diocese to be able to exercise this special ministry. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. So as with many things in, in the church, it's it's formalized. There is a rite or a, or a ceremony of exorcism that would be performed by a priest who is an exorcist in a case of genuine demon possession. And the church doesn't just assume that someone is demon possessed because they say they are, someone else says they are. Like it's part of the exorcist's job to make sure that person has psychological evaluation, to to see what's going on in their life, um, to get them other kinds of help if if that's what they need, because other things can be mistaken for demon possession. But if there genuinely is demon possession, then there is a, a, a rite, a series of prayers that that priest is authorized to pray in order to cast the demon out. But that's major exorcism. Um, there are minor exorcisms, like I alluded to earlier. There's a minor exorcism that happens at baptism. There, there are prayers that that priests or, I mean, e- even any, anyone really can can ask for Jesus to protect them from from Satan and the demons, the St. Michael's prayer, th- those are in, in some ways minor exorcisms that call upon Christ's power against the forces of, of Satan. But the headline thing, right? right the headline where, thing is the, the head thing exorcism. where the guy comes in and, you know, there's the old priest and he comes in and it's, and the power of Christ. And then the lady, the girl spins around in the room and all this kind of stuff, right? I mean, like the movies, 
just unpack real quickly as we end, what are the circumstances under which that happens? What are the principles of it? What it is, if somebody suspects that they're possessed by a demon, well, it wouldn't usually be the person who, who is, it'd be someone in their life, someone who cares about them. They would approach the church, the exorcist would evaluate the situation, either they're trained as a psychologist or they, they work with a psychologist to figure out what's going on with this person. Right. They, they, they eliminate the possibility right. this is just right. a normal they, psychological. They eliminate natural causes. And of course, those could be enmeshed. I mean, it's certainly possible that you're possessed by a demon and you have some kind of mental illness or it's, you know, it's purely mental illness and it's not, not a demonic possession. They help them in, in other ways if that's needed. But, and, and as you alluded to before, that there are, are and I'm not an exorcist, and you can you can find reputable exorcists to to get more details on this. But if a person is averse to the name of Jesus and Mary, or to holy items, sacramentals like holy water, that would be evidence that there there is probably a demon involved here. And so there's a, there are formal prayers of the church, a kind of liturgy that is that is authorized by the church for for casting out the demon. In okay. that case, okay. And I'm sure it's not usually as, I mean, I, I imagine there are sometimes dramatic things that happen, but obviously Hollywood is a great exaggerator and makes a lot yeah. of stuff up. There have been some books by exorcists in the last few years and things. And, you know, it's, it's actually something that I don't really spend a lot of time thinking or reading about because I mm -hmm. think that that's not very constructive or productive or a good use of my time. Yeah, and there are kind of quacks or people who say things out there that are misleading. So be careful if, if you are interested in who you listen to. But as we said earlier, it's, it's good to know about these things, but it's not good to become sort of morbidly obsessed with these things. Well, I'll wrap up this two episode thing by saying that be, because as we said, the nature of evil is that it is no thing. It is nothing. It is a void. It is an absence of God. If you have an hour of your time that hour of your time is best spent being directed and leaning in towards God into truth, goodness, and beauty, rather than looking into the, the void, mm -hmm. the darkness of it, and, and spending too much time thinking about that, investigating it, obsessing about it, reflecting on it, is not useful or productive. Yeah, and, and what we said before about the demons, that their, their intellect is is pointed in the wrong direction and in some ways they're they're stupid even though they have such a powerful intellect we become like that if we focus on evil you don't you don't understand evil better by studying evil you understand your own sin and you understand how to avoid evil by focusing on heavenly things and and on the good and and of course primarily on, on Christ himself okay hey thanks Corey yep thank you Greg mm -hmm.